few months ago, uh, Holly and the boys and I were in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we were visiting some friends. We had just had dinner. We were about to go to Wednesday night Bible class, and we were standing in the parking lot of the restaurant talking to our friends when we heard, and you've probably heard the same thing before, heard screeching tires and then held our breath, and we heard a crash, and we knew it was bad. It sounded awful. And so we ran to the sidewalk And we looked down the hill, and sure enough, an 18-wheeler had hit a a small four-door car. We could see broken pieces of the car. We could see the smoke coming out from under the hood, and uh, the horn was blaring. And so I did what probably any of y'all would have done, and I didn't say anything to anybody. I just started running towards, uh, towards the crash. I was running down the hill. Thankfully, it was running down the hill, and if it was up the hill, it would have been a totally different story. But anyway, uh, so I was running down the hill, and I was thinking... I don't know how I'm going to help. I don't know how to do. I'm not prepared to do anything. I don't know what I'm going to do. I saw somebody, the truck driver had gotten out of his car, out of his truck, and he was already on the cell phone calling 911. That's what I was going to do. So there was nothing I knew uh, that I could do when I got there, but I knew I had to go down and see if there was anything I could do and see if I could help. And, and so, of course, the lady, thankfully, little lady, little old lady, uh, she was fine. Uh, kind of scraped up. I was able to pray with her and comfort her until the ambulance got there, help her find her phone so that she could call her family. But you know, it got me thinking about something that sometimes we we wonder how are we going to help or how are we going to do something. Um, and, and at that moment, I didn't know how I could help, but I knew why, why I needed to run, why I needed to go, why I needed to see if I could help. And that's what I want us to think about this morning, is that when you know the why, you'll figure out the how, right? When you know the why, you'll figure out the how. A lot of times when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, and that's what we're talking about in our series this month on telling others about Jesus, sharing the good news with other people, we spend a lot of time talking about the how, don't we? How can we reach people? How can we talk to people about Jesus? How do we reach people in our particular area? How do we reach this group of people or that group of people? How do we reach people that believe this? Or how do we reach people that believe that? And those are good things to talk about. We need to talk about the how. The how is important. But the how varies, doesn't it? It varies depending on who we're talking about or or what age of people we're talking about or what they already believe or what they've already experienced. And what I want us to realize is as important as the how is, the why is even more important. And that when you know the why, when you know why you need to run to the lost and share the good news with them, you'll figure out the how. You'll figure out the how when you understand Why? Why it is so crucial that we speak up. Why it is so crucial that we tell people about Jesus. Why it is so crucial that we help them to understand and to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you understand the why, then you'll figure out the how. I think about Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he he's talking about the how, isn't he? And he's talking about to the Jews, I became like somebody under the law. To those under the law, I became like somebody under the law, even though I'm not under the law. And to the people without the law, I became like a Gentile. I became like somebody not under the law. To this group, I became like them. And to this group, I became like them. I'm willing to do just about anything. And give up whatever rights I have or privileges that I have in order to reach the lost. Because Paul understood the why. 
Paul understood why he needed to run to the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the how is important, but the why is even more important. And church, I want us to understand the why. This morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about Paul's why, and why he was willing to share the gospel with people in spite of what it cost him. In 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is all about Paul's ministry, all about his apostleship. Because there were a lot of people that questioned his apostleship. And maybe this Paul guy, I don't know if he really is an apostle of Jesus. Or maybe he's a false teacher. Or people would say things like, you know, I mean, his letters. Yeah, granted, his letters are great. But man, when the guy shows up in person, he is so unimpressive. He's nothing, you know. And and so they made fun of Paul. They undermined his ministry. And so Paul writes this letter to reinforce his authority and his ministry as an apostle somebody who has been sent out by Jesus. And in the midst of all this, he talks about some of the persecution that he endures. He says, five times, think about this, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Can you imagine? Can you imagine experiencing that one time where somebody takes a whip and whips your back 39 times? Paul endured that five different occasions. Three times he says he was beaten with rods. The Gentile authorities beat him. He says, just beatings in general, I can't even count how many times that's happened. Or imprisonments. He says one time, and we remember this story from the book of Acts, don't we? He was stoned. That was a death penalty. Paul was one of the only people in the first century that could say, I was stoned, and I lived to tell the story. They thought he was dead. They left him for dead. Paul says, I've been shipwrecked. He even says, I spent a night and a day adrift at sea. Can you imagine what Paul looked like? Can you imagine the scars on his back and on his face? Can you imagine what he looked like having been through all of that? And here in chapters 4 and 5, Paul lays out why. Why are you willing to do that? Why are you willing to face this persecution? Why are you willing to go through all of that? The beatings and the whippings and the imprisonment and eventually beheaded because he followed Jesus. Because he had the audacity to speak about the kingship of Jesus. Paul, why not just keep your mouth shut? Why not just save your life and be quiet? Why? Why must you talk about Jesus? And I think when we understand Paul's why, we'll be inspired to hold on to that why for ourselves, won't we? So that we know why we should run, why we should sprint towards the people that are lost, why we should sprint to people and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. So look at first, or second Corinthians rather, chapter four and verse seven. Second Corinthians four and verse seven. Now, I tried to kind of whittle this down into a smaller text, but we have a lot to get through, but there's just so much here, and I want us to see it all. So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You say I'm unimpressive. You say I don't speak very well. I'm not that great of a preacher. You say I'm kind of weak in person. Paul says no arguments there. I'm just a plain old clay pot. And that was intentional. 
God put his treasure, his power, this gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in people like me, jars of clay, so that you would know that it's not about how impressive we are. You would know that the power doesn't come from us. It comes from God. So yeah, I'm kind of unimpressive. I'm kind of a clay pot, he says. But that was intentional so that you would know that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Can you imagine? You could look at Paul. You could look at his hands and you could look at his face and you could look at his back and you could look at what he's been through. And he says, we, the apostles of Jesus Christ, these who are taking the gospel to the world, we are carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Know what he's saying? That day after day after day, I'm giving myself over to death. I'm giving myself over to beatings and stonings and whippings and imprisonment and shipwrecks and danger to robbers and traps and false brethren. I'm giving myself over to all of those things on a daily basis, given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that, here's the why, here's a why right here. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. <laughs> you see? That I'm dying for Jesus daily, being handed over to death, so that you can live. And isn't that what happened? I mean, every time... Paul went to a different city and taught people the gospel and people were baptized into Jesus. They came to life, didn't they? They were dead people that became live people. Not only in a spiritual sense, but in the day of resurrection, all of those people will live forever. And and Paul was literally helping Jesus to bring people to life. And so Paul says, that's why. That's why I'm willing to give myself over to death. That's why all of these evangelists and apostles were willing to carry about in their bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul preached and wouldn't stop preaching. He shared and wouldn't stop sharing. He pleaded and wouldn't stop pleading so that others could live. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke. He's quoting from Psalm 116, and the psalmist says, I I was in a horrible way. I was afflicted, and I was in danger, but I believed I believe God would save. I believe that God would rescue. And because I believe, I spoke. And so Paul says, we also believe. And so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised Jesus will. He who raised Jesus 
He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Did you see the so that? So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul, why do you preach? Paul, why do you offer your body to die? Paul, why do you risk your life day in and day out? Paul, why don't you just be quiet and save yourself a lot of trouble? I do it so that grace may extend to more and more people, so that as people come to hear the gospel, they say, thank you, God. And as more and more people are saved by the grace of God, more thanksgiving is poured out, and God is glorified in all the world. That's why I can't stop. That's why I can't be quiet. That's why I can't restrain myself. That's why, even if it costs me my life, I'll keep on preaching. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart, he says. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this, and I love this, this light momentary affliction. I mean, you heard what he's been through. Does that sound like light affliction to you? It's almost like, it's almost a taunt, isn't it, to Satan to say, is that all you got? Is that all you got? Stonings, whippings, beatings, shipwrecks, imprisonment. Is that all you got? One more. You, you, this is light. Why? Because it's momentary. This is light, momentary affliction. And I believe and know that this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're literally, but for a season. This little bit of suffering that I'm going through, this little bit of groaning that I'm going through, this little bit of persecution that I'm going through, these couple of beatings and couple of whippings and this shipwreck business and this imprisonment business, this is but for a season. This is light. This is momentary. What is coming, that's not light, that's heavy. This is light. What's coming is the weight of eternal glory. And this, now, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for that. That's why I'm willing to go through this. Because I look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are passing away. They're but for a season. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Literally, that word means for the ages. This is, this is just for a passing age. This suffering is just for this season. But the eternal weight of glory, the brightness and the majesty, the body and the resurrection that are coming, that is for the age to come that will never end. This is why I do what I do, Paul is saying. This is why I preach what I preach. This is why I do not lose heart. This is why I do not give up. This is why I stay on mission. This is why I keep to the task. Why? Because we're looking at what you can't see. You see my scars. 
You see that I'm not that great of a speaker. You see that I'm not so impressive, that I'm just a clay pot. Well, I'm telling you, I look at what you can't see. Now, look at verse 1, chapter 5. For we know, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. I like that, a tent, right? That's what he says this body is. It's just a tent. It's just a temporary dwelling place. And if this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, this body, we groan, we groan, we groan. Paul's not saying that being beaten and being whipped and being in prison and being stoned isn't hard. He's not making light of it. He's only saying that it's light in comparison with what is to come. And he's saying that we groan in this tent, but we groan knowing and longing to put on our heavenly house, our heavenly dwelling, the body that's being prepared and saved in heaven for us that we'll receive in the resurrection. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, not that we would just be a spirit kind of floating around without a body, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. (laughs) That's good, isn't it? That this mortal body will be swallowed up by Life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Paul says, I have the Spirit and so I know that even when this body is gone and even if this body is destroyed and they're doing their very best to destroy this tent, but if they do, I'll get a permanent house from God, a permanent body from God, and what is mortal will be swallowed up by what is truly life, and the Spirit of God is our guarantee. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul, why do you preach? Paul, why do you implore? Paul, why do you keep opening your mouth even though it's making you a target? Paul, why are you willing to die for this message of Jesus? He says, because I know that I will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. Everyone will. Everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus, and I am doing this because I want to please him. Because I walk by faith and not by sight. Paul, why do you preach? because I want to please the one before whom everyone will stand and be judged. But but don't misunderstand. Paul, Paul isn't afraid to be judged by Jesus because he knows he's doing what he ought. In fact, look at the next verse, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
But what we are, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, servants of God, what we are is known to God. God knows who we are. And I hope it's known also to your conscience. I hope you know that we really are servants of God. I hope you know that what we do, we do because we truly are apostles of Jesus. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul, why do you preach? Because I fear the Lord. Paul, why do you and the other apostles and these evangelists, why do you keep talking about Jesus even though it's going to get you killed? Because we fear the Lord. We know the fear of the Lord. We know that everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And because we know the fear of the Lord, we do everything within our power to try to persuade others. Isn't there an implication there? I don't want to jump too fast to applying it to our own life, but isn't there an implication there? If we don't try to persuade others, do we really know the fear of the Lord? Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, if it's like we're out of our mind, it's for God. And if we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Some may say, for the love of Christ compels us or restrains us. And it's hard to know whether he means Christ's love for us or our love for Christ. But either way, why are you so compelled? Why are you so driven? Why don't you just stop talking about Jesus? Because the love of Christ controls me. It compels me. It restrains me. I can't help but speak about the things I've seen and heard, Peter says. We can't help speaking about Jesus. The love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It restrains us. We can't give this up. We can't shut our mouth even if we wanted to. Jeremiah experienced that, didn't he? Jeremiah says, listen, I'm, I'm sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick of opening my mouth for God and, and the persecution that comes with it. But the very moment I say I'm not going to speak about him and I close my mouth, there's this fire in my bones and I can't keep it in. Paul says the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. Because we conclude this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. See, if Jesus' death was for everybody, then that means that everybody needs Jesus, right? If Jesus died for everybody, then that means that everybody is under the condemnation of death. If Jesus died for everybody, then the only way to have life is through Jesus. And he died for all, that that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Why do I preach? Why do I keep telling people, Paul is saying? Because the love of Christ, the selfless, self-giving love of Christ controls us. It's changed me. Because he gave his life for me and now I have life in him. I can't live for myself anymore. I can only live for him who gave himself for me. When we understand the love of Christ, it controls us. It compels us. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We used to look at people and say, well, you're a Jew and you're a Gentile. You're circumcised, you're not circumcised. And he says, no more, 
No more do we regard anyone according to the flesh, even though that's used to how we looked at Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you remember last week we talked about when Jesus was raised from the dead? He wasn't just resuscitated. He didn't just... He wasn't just raised with a body that was going to die again. He was raised as the first fruits of the new creation. The new creation was already beginning in Jesus. And Paul says that those of us that are in Christ have already become a part of the new creation ourselves. And that's how we regard people. That's how we see the world. We no longer see the world according to the flesh. Circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew, Gentile, no more of that. Now we see old creation and new creation. And that if you're in Christ Jesus, then you are a part of the new creation. You're a new anthropos, a new human, a new man. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ, this is a good word, reconciled us to himself. Reconciled. When two parties are at odds with each other, when two parties are angry with each other or enemies of one another, and you've experienced that, haven't you? You know what it feels like to be separated from God. And you know what it feels like to wonder if he loves you or if he's angry with you. You know what it feels like to feel like there's a wall between you and God. All humanity knows that. And, and sometimes we try to self-medicate that. Sometimes we just try to distract ourselves from that. We try to entertain ourselves so that we don't think about that. But Paul says, listen, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is the message of reconciliation that says that wall is torn down. The temple curtain is torn in two so that you and God can be one so that you can have a relationship, so that you can be his covenant people. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's beautiful, isn't it? That God, through Jesus, is saying to the world, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whoever you've done it with, come home. Be reconciled. Come and be my children. Come and let me forgive you. Come and let me wash you clean. Come and let me give you my grace and your mercy and my mercy and my forgiveness. And Paul says that he God has entrusted this message to the apostles and the evangelists. And I would say, God has entrusted this message to the church. God has made us stewards of the message of reconciliation. Church, we can't sit on that, can we? We can't hide that from the world. The world deserves to know. Whether they want to hear it or not, the world deserves to know that God loves them. The world deserves to know that God wants a relationship with them. The world deserves to know that God, through Christ, wants to reconcile them to himself. Isn't that a message the world needs to know? And this message was entrusted to the apostles, to the evangelists, to shepherds, to teachers, to all of us, that we might be equipped for ministry, for evangelism, 
that we might take this message of reconciliation to the world. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. (laughs) The King, Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed King. We are his special ambassadors going to the world, God making his appeal through us. And here it is. Here's Paul's appeal. Here's God's appeal through Paul. We implore you. Not we suggest to you, not we'd like to submit this for your consideration. We implore you. That's a heartfelt word. It's an emotional word. We beg you. We plead with you. We urge you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin. Not sinful, but a sin sacrifice, a sin bearer, a curse. Made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be in right relationship with God because of Jesus' death, because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of Jesus' blood, because he became a curse on our behalf, we might be freed from the curse. Because he became sin on our behalf, we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's the message Paul says, I can't help but tell the world about it. Kill me if you want to. Stone me if you want to. Beat me if you want to. Whip me if you want to. Put me in prison if you want to. Shipwreck me if you want to. But I can't help telling the world that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. I must implore the world through Christ Be reconciled to God. Through Christ, live. I know we went through all that fast. Let me, let's recap just a second. Here's why Paul implored people to be reconciled to God. Here's Paul's whys. One, so that others might live. Every time you share the gospel with someone and they become obedient to the good news of Jesus, they live. They're dead and they live. And you say, I don't know how. I don't know the right words. I'm afraid I might mess up. I'm afraid I don't know enough. But you know why, don't you? And when you know why, you'll figure out the how. Number two, so that God's grace might extend to more and more people. And as more and more people hear about God's grace, they give thanks to God and God is glorified. Number three, so that he might, so that Paul might experience the glory to come. Whatever we suffer is small and light in comparison with the weight of eternal glory that is to come. Verse 4, so that Paul might please the one who will judge all people. Number 5, because he feared the Lord. And number 6, because of the love of Christ. How is a great question. It's a great question. How do we reach people? How do we reach atheists? How do we reach agnostics? How do we reach skeptical people? How do we reach those who are of a Hindu faith? How do we reach those of an Islamic faith? How do we reach the people in our neighborhood? How do we reach our friends and our family members? How do we reach the people that say, yeah, I like God and I like Jesus, but this whole organized religion thing, not really my thing. How do we reach them? 
How do we reach people in Mexico and Central America and South America and Asia and Africa? How do we reach people? Those are great questions that we need to talk about. But we will never truly be motivated to figure out how and to go and do it and to make mistakes along the way. We won't be motivated unless we know why. When we know why, we'll figure out how. But I'm afraid sometimes we're not really worried about figuring out how or making it so because we don't really know why. Listen to the words of Paul because Paul was an ambassador of Jesus. He got it. He knew what was and what is and what is to come. And we can know that as well, can't we? You can know that. We as a group can know that. And we as individuals and we as a group, we can go to this community and we can go to the world and we're going to make mistakes along the way. And everybody's not going to listen. And some people won't like it. That was true in Jesus' day. That was true in Paul's day. But we have to know why. Why do we sprint down the hill? Why do we sprint towards lost people? Why do we keep talking about Jesus? Why do we keep imploring people through Christ be reconciled to God? Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you haven't yet been reconciled to God through Jesus, through being buried with him in baptism, through dying to the old humanity, the old life, and being resurrected to walk in newness of life. If you haven't, I beg you with the same words that Paul begged the people of his day. I implore you, through Christ, be reconciled to God. But maybe you have been reconciled and you just need prayers or encouragement. Listen, church, pray for me. Paul says he didn't lose heart. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I forget why. Sometimes I get distracted by the things in this world and I forget about the age to come. Sometimes I don't have the kind of zeal and enthusiasm for reaching the lost that I ought to. Pray for me. Pray for each other. Pray for the church that we will have at our heart and in our mind and on the tip of our tongue. Why? Why we should be reaching out to people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we pray with you or encourage you? The shepherds are going to meet in my office in a few minutes after services. They would love nothing more in the world than to pray with you, whatever it is that's going on in your life. We're in this together. Or we're going to sing a song, and we'd invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.